Welcome to the Life Success and Legacy Podcast. We're super excited. We are taking on a worthwhile endeavor at Life Success and Legacy. Our intention is to honor Nelson Nash, the man, as well as the infinite banking concept. We're going to create a series of resources, including podcasts and text, as a resource for others who want to truly understand with depth and clarity what Nelson shared in his book, Becoming Your Own Banker, as well as the many seminars and think tanks that we were fortunate to have attended during his life. So who is this intended audience? Well, we will use Nelson Nash's own words. It is written for the layman, not for financial advisors, but all life agents should be thoroughly knowledgeable of its content and practice. So whether you are an individual, part of a family, a business owner, or a life insurance agent, this is for you. So sit back, relax, and we will walk you through becoming your own banker step-by-step so you can reference the parts you want to revisit at your own pace. And we might have a little fun along the way. Hey, welcome back to another edition of the Life Success and Legacy podcast. We want to really thank you for joining us. Uh, Mike and I love um, getting into this. And a shout out to Mike Crawford uh, behind the scenes for producing and, and editing and all that. I don't, I don't know that he does too much editing. Um, we're pretty, pretty raw. <laughs> when it comes to our production here. Um, today we're going to talk about, um, we're at the bottom of page 22 in Becoming Your Own Banker. Um, on the first column at the bottom where it says, at the end of the year, the directors that actually run the company call the accountants in and in essence ask them, how did we do this year on John Doe's policy? So we're going to talk about how these policies are over-engineered and um, and Mike was uh, there's a couple different analogies or examples of how these policies are designed um, to give some some margin with that. So, Mike, you want to talk about that for our listeners? Well, um, one of the things is the, the policy is overbuilt and that's overbuilt through the actuaries and the rate makers. And and really what they're doing is they're they're taking a policy and they're saying that there are certain costs to doing business and creating the policy itself. Now, if if I'm a business owner, I know that there are certain built-in costs that are gonna happen. And then what ends up happening is with the particular policy, once they've designed it, once they've charged the customer for this, what they're gonna do is at the end of the year, they're gonna decide how much did it really cost us to do business? How many people died? Uh, what were the expenses? Uh, there were certain things that that were built in, and did we charge enough for the cost of the product? At the end of the year, if they've got a profit, what they do is they they determine if there is a profit, and then what they do is they pay out the dividends. Now, I'm going to use a particular example so people will understand the. Uh, the thought process in overbuilding the life insurance plan. Remember, actuaries are nothing more than engineers. So I'm gonna use a car as an example. Uh, Nelson actually uses the airplane. A car is much easier because we, are, we all have cars. So in our cars, we have a, a tachometer. The tachometer uh, reads from zero up to about 9,000 RPMs. 
but somewhere around 6,500 to 7,500, you will notice in your tachometer that there is a red line on that tachometer. What is that red line there for? Well, they say that if you stay below the red line, so if you stay somewhere between three and 5,000 or 6,000 RPMs, then guess what? Your car won't blow up. But if you go beyond that 6,000 or 7,000 RPMs, your car will blow up. Now, anybody who knows me knows that I have gone beyond the red line when I drive. I've got one speed and one speed only, and it's hard and fast. Now, so I have many people that ask me, have you ever gone beyond the red line? And I go, absolutely. So the crazy thing is, did my car blow up? It did not. So there is a fudge factor that all engineers build in to a car and say, you know what? Um, your car's not going to blow up. But now here's the crazy thing. If you keep going beyond that line all the time, you're putting so much stress on the vehicle that the chances of a malfunction or a, the possibility of the car blowing up becomes greater. Now, I'm going to now dovetail back to the life insurance policy. Keep in mind the actuaries, the engineers overbuild the life insurance policy so they build in that fudge factor for a reason. They say, "You know what? This is how much we're going to charge." And they know that they're overcharging or, or, or overbuilding the life insurance plan. So at the end of the year, there will be a profit or a dividend to be able to be paid back to the owners of the, of the, uh, the policies. It's really, it sounds complicated, but it's not. I don't yeah. know if that, that helped. Yeah, big concept. It's not complicated, but you got to have some pretty smart engineer people working the numbers and studying uh, tables and all that stuff to make sure yep. that the company's doing well. That and that's partly why we work with companies that have been in business for over a hundred years. They've got this thing figured out, and and they know how to continue to grow the policies. Yep. They know how to grow the investments and and make it get better every single year. Um, so, so Nelson says that, that the policy is engineered to become more efficient every single year, no matter what happens. In parentheses, and I want to make sure that this is, that we're crystal clear on this. He says that is if the owner does what is called for premium paying. Remember, this is a unilateral contract. That's right. So the, so the policy owner's got to do their part. They got to pay their premiums. Loan repayments plus interest thereon that are at least equal to or better than the general investment portfolios of the company. What he's saying is, and this goes back to his principles, capitalize your system generously and don't steal from your system. If you apply those two things, your policy will get better every single year. Okay. He says that it is because the cash value is guaranteed to ultimately reach the face amount of the policy by age 100 of the insured. 
that is an ever decreasing net amount of risk for the company. So then in the next um, paragraph, he starts uh, using another analogy of flying and how an airplane gets more efficient the further that it flies. So Mike, tell that story about how the airplane and a life insurance policy are similar. Well, so it says right there that it's gonna get better no matter what. So let's look at an airplane. And, and what we're gonna do is we're gonna fly from Los Angeles to Honolulu. Now, everybody gets on the plane in Los Angeles. They've got all their bags. They've got all of the, uh, the folks are jammed in there and they've had to fill the gas tank 100% full of gas to get over to Honolulu. Now, as the plane takes off, remember, you think about a giant a, a 747 or whatever it is, how long a runway does it take to get that thing off the ground? A, a long ways because the, the airplane is so, so heavy. But now we get up and we're flying over the Pacific and we're heading to Honolulu. As the plane is flying to Honolulu, is it burning tons of fuel? Absolutely. So what's happening is the airplane is getting lighter and more efficient as it gets further across the ocean. So that means that originally because of the weight of the, po uh, the, weight of the plane, it's going pretty slow, but as it's burning that fuel, the plane is able to pick up speed and get more efficient. Now, going back to the life insurance plan, we're gonna use that as a correlation. Because of the way the policy is engineered, what we're doing is we're reallocating those dollars to work more efficiently for the client. But here's the thing, in the early stages of the policy, all of these upfront costs are gone. So what ends up happening is the more premiums that you pay down the road, they're going more directly to the, the, the equity of the policy. Um, use a mortgage as an example. Yep. A mortgage is a perfect example in the early stages. And I'm going to say anywhere from uh, five to 15 years, if you look at how much is going to interest versus the, the equity or the balance, the principal balance of the mortgage, it's horrendous. But you, then as you get past year 15, if it's a 30-year mortgage, all of a sudden it's switched completely and more is going to the principal. So that is very, very similar to the way the life insurance plan works in the early stages. It's not super efficient, but in the later stages, I'm gonna tell you, it gets super, super efficient. There's a, there's a ton of variables that the rate makers, as they're called, um, you know, for the cost of the life insurance, there's a ton of variables that they've got to take into consideration. Uh, at the top of 23, uh, Nelson starts outlining some of those things. He said, you know, there can be variations in interest earnings, death claims, expenses of operations. All of these factors can affect the dividend scale declared for the coming year. Yep. And so we always tell people, you know, we run an illustration for them, right? what are the chances that that illustration is going to be right on the money five years, 10 years, 15 years down the road? Zero. Okay. <laughs> Zero because of all percent. those variables that we just talked about, right? That's right. That's right. But it's we an can, illustration. It's an illustration. But 
it gives a pretty um, accurate, consistent picture as what you can expect. Is it going to be right on the money? No. But nope. is it going to be within the ballpark? Yes. We've got Absolutely. history that shows that, yes, that they are pretty consistent. In fact, you know, uh, companies that we work with have been paying dividends for, you know, over 100, 100 consecutive years. Yeah. That's going through the Great Depression and different plagues and all kinds of things. Yep. Um, Nelson does say that the dividend, once it is declared, its value is guaranteed from that point on. It can never lose value in the future, as can the value of securities. And he has a little parenthetical <laughs> comment there. Um, he says, it always been a mystery to me. Why do they call stocks securities when it is possible to lose their value entirely? It all sounds like an oxymoron to me. Maybe it's like Social Security, which has no market value at all. <laughs> Okay, so um, next section in here, um, Nelson talks about uh, the rate makers and how they cautioned by the actuaries, uh, and they're talking about, okay, now that our company has made money, right? Yep. We're at the end of the year, we've made money, we've got some extra money, what should we do with that money? So you want to talk about how they decide to break that out? Well, so obviously when, when uh, the company at the end of the year has shown a profit, um, our normal thought process is to go ahead and pay all of the profits out to the stockholders of the company. But this is a business. This is a large business. So part of one of the things that they think through is, you know, our expense is going to go up or down in the next year or two. Um, will there be additional death claims? Will there be uh, some unforeseen costs that could possibly happen? So he uses an example here. Um, and really, let's just say that all of a sudden there was a, a cost of a given plan and it was a dollar for that particular given plan. Um, don't really collect a dollar, but collect a dollar ten. And the extra ten is just additional capital for the particular system. So part of what they want to make sure that they're doing when dividends are declared, they are going to pay them. But if I'm a smart businessman and we're going to use this uh, as the life insurance company, remember they've been doing it for a hundred plus years. If they've, if they've collected a dollar 10 for that, are they going to want to pay out the full amount of profit or are they going to want to take a portion of it? set it aside for future expenses and claims and unforeseen costs. If I'm a good businessman, that's exactly what I'm going to do. So, you know, and they use a number of different analogies in here, but they, they figure some percentages and I'm, I'm a ballpark guy, so I don't really get hung up on the numbers at all. So if I've collected an additional 10 cents on the dollar, I'm not going to pay the full 10 cents out. What I'm going to do is I'm going to figure a percentage. And let's just say we take 60 to 70% and we pay out in a, in a dividend and we set aside the additional for expenses, claims, and unforeseen costs. And it's and really Mike, just smart well, business. Well, it's smart business. And going back to the fact that we work with mutual companies, which means we are owners in that company. We want them to be smart business people. Yeah, we do. 
And, and so I'm totally good with that. Um, and, and yes, we do get dividends. And, and I can tell you, I've had, you know, my first policy started back in 2011 and we're in 2020. I can tell you, I haven't looked at my dividend once. People, again, this goes back to the noise. We've all been taught to look at rates of return and, you know, all that kind of stuff and look at it as an investment. I don't look at it that way. Now, that may make me weird, you know, to not look at my dividend. You may look at yours. I don't care. Down no. the road, they get sizable. You know, Nelson even comments at one point, I think he says that his dividends ended up being like 10 times what the premium is or some, yeah. some number like that. He uses an example, and that example is in the case for IBC. But I want to touch on the bottom of the left-hand column on page 23 of this particular chapter. Um, so they put the, the, the dividend to work, right? Most people mm -hmm. have the impression that a dividend is a taxable event. This is not so. So the word dividend used by the insurance industry to describe this dispersal, and it's stuck, by the way. The dividend is really a surplus, but the correct classification for the dividend is a return of premium. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm going to. I'm gonna a return of premium or at the top of 23, it's a return of capital, which is not a taxable event in the IRS terminology. If the owner uses the dividend to purchase additional paid up insurance, that means no cost for acquisition, sales commission, et cetera. The result is an ever increasing tax deferred accumulation of the cash values that support an ever increasing death benefit. So. Keep in mind, I'm going to go back to the way we have been taught about dividends for one second. So we have a ton of potential clients that come to us and say, what is the dividend that your company pays out every year? Yeah. What's the dividend scale? I want to see them. Well, I, I'm going to tell you from my personal perspective, and this is after 15 plus years in IBC, I personally do not care about the dividend. So what is the dividend again? It is a return of premium. Hmm. So that really truly means that what's happened is, and it doesn't matter if it's a mid-sized mutual company or a large-sized mutual company, the dividend is nothing more than a return of premium. So that truly means that what's happened is the company has overcharged you for the cost of the life insurance policy that you have purchased. And at the end of the year, giving you back some of your premium. Yeah. So when these larger life insurance companies start touting their dividends, I have to then help people think through by the way, they overcharged you for the product and then they gave you back some of your premium at the end of the year. So does it really matter? It does not. Mm -mm. Not about the dividends. It is not about the dividends. And Nelson says that over and over and over. In fact, um, some companies that we work with, they, they will not post, they won't play that game. They don't post their dividend scales. And part of that is they know that their clients, because they're IBC minded, they're not concerned with the dividends. What they will do is they will show that they have the highest 
guaranteed cash values, early cash values, because that's, that's right. what we're using it for is for banking. It's not an investment. It's it's used for banking purposes. That's correct. Yeah. yeah and then Nelson, uh, Nelson, here's the part that I was talking about uh, earlier. He said he, he bought a policy from a major insurance company in 1959. <laughs> the annual dividend is over 10 times the annual premium now. Um, he said they would have been much larger had I not used the annual dividend to reduce premiums for the first 15 years. So as I finish this, Mike, um, be thinking, I want you to explain all the different uh, ways that people can use dividends. 100% of our people use it in one way, but they've got options. He says, things are just not adequately explained by life insurance sales folks because of the limited understanding of their home office folks that they teach them. That's a pity. So hmm. these dividends, talk about how we typically use the dividends and then what the other options are. Well, um, we, we literally, when we, when we design or uh, re-engineer the policy, um, but think about it, it's life insurance. So what do most people buy life insurance for? The death benefit. So what they normally want is the big death benefit. But what's the likelihood in your 20s, 30s, 40s, or even 50s that you're going to die? It's pretty small. So, you know, what we're trying to do is when we reallocate the premiums, we are decreasing the death benefit and increasing the cash value. When you do that, what happens is there is a slow growth in the early years as far as dividends, and then as you get into the later years. So what we're doing with those dividends, because of the way the policy is designed, and we can, we can run this a number of different ways, what we want the dividend to do is to purchase some additional paid up insurance, which adds to the death benefit. And over time, what ends up happening is your life insurance policy will have increased even bigger to the death benefit amount that you would have purchased originally to the point where your death benefit is larger than you would have purchased originally. And so what we're doing is we're taking those dividends and we're just reinvesting them internally to buy additional paid up insurance, which then creates a larger death benefit, which increases the dividend. And over time, it all just works together. Uh, the example I use is, uh, is a snowball. Um, we're, what we're doing is we're taking the snowball, but instead of starting at the bottom of the hill, we're starting at the top of the hill, and what we're doing is we're letting that snowball go down the hill. And over time, the snowball gets so big that it literally rolls on its own. It is a system that Nelson discovered, and my goodness gracious, I think about this all the time, the gift that Nelson has given us with infinite banking. And it literally does its own thing, and it grows and grows and grows, and he says right in here, it gets bigger no matter what and it gets better no matter what. That's good stuff, um, mm. fun stuff. We're gonna, we're gonna um, take a break here uh, in this chapter and then come back and start applying it to the all-American young man that Nelson yep. talks about. Um, for our listeners, thanks again for joining us. Uh, check us out at lifesuccesslegacy.com. As I always say, if you don't have a, a copy of Nelson's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, you can get a copy there. Uh, at our website. 
or if you've already got a copy of that, you can also get a copy of uh, The Case for IBC, which is a fantastic book, especially, uh, in my opinion, for business owners who are very focused on um, cash flow. Um, check out our other podcasts. They're on our uh, website at lifesuccessandlegacy.com, lifesuccesslegacy.com. And then we also have a learning kit for those of you who want to dig in a little bit deeper. That includes uh, a copy of either Becoming Your Own Banker or The Case for IBC. So come back and join us for our next time, and we'll dig deeper into this chapter about creating your own banking system. <laughs>